Thanks for listening to another episode of Project Zion. This podcast explores the unique spiritual and theological gifts the Restoration offers for today's world. Project Zion is sponsored by the Latter-day Seekers team from Community of Christ. Welcome. I'm Karen Peter, and this is Common Grounds, where we are having conversations about the liturgical or Christian calendar. So, a brief review. The seasons and the holy days of the liturgical calendar help us relive the story, the ministry, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. In each season, we participate with all of the different varieties of worship experiences, scripture, symbol, color, and hymnody. And we learn about Jesus and our discipleship of Jesus in each season. As we learn about the calendar and live it as a spiritual practice, we deepen our understanding of our own discipleship and what it means to live it in Christian community and in community of Christ. Now, the calendar begins four weeks before Christmas with the season of Advent, and then it moves through Christmas season, Epiphany, Lent, Easter, Pentecost, and what's called ordinary time. And today, we're talking about a feast day or holy day that takes place during Holy Week, and that is Monday, Thursday. And our guest today is Pam Cress. Pam is a Community of Christ minister. She currently serves in the Greater Pacific Northwest Mission Center. She has served the church in many different capacities and lived in different regions of the United States. She currently serves in the Office of Evangelist. So Pam, welcome. Thank you. I'm very glad to be here today. Well, we're glad to have you. Can you tell us just a little bit about yourself beyond the brief sketch that I gave? (laughs) Sure. I was born and raised in Community of Christ. Um, I was born into the Midwest and um, very close to independence. But my life journey um, as I moved into college and adulthood took me... um, a little further into Kansas, and then eventually uh, my first job took me to Mississippi, which was a big culture shock. And I lived in New Orleans for a while as well um, and journeyed with some very fine people there. And what I remember is uh, my life journey has always been one of deep faith. Uh, as a child, I my baptism was a profound experience for me. And um, always a little bit out of step, I think, um, perhaps with some of my peers. But I was always active at church. And so even in my college years, I was um, a Zion's League leader. I was um, uh, also um, a Christian ed coordinator. Um, and so when we moved or when I moved to um, Mississippi, um, I was very active um, in the in the church. The closest church to where I lived was actually a 45-minute drive, um, and there was a drawbridge and a train between me and the church. And so um, there was an 
an elder in the congreg um, in the church there who said, "Let's get together some folk that live on the other side of the drawbridge, and we'll start meeting together." And so, from the very beginning, I was um, I remember writing Christian Ed material and adapting it for the small group of children that we had. It was a house church. We met in lots of homes. We met in my home. Eventually, we even met in my office because I was a speech-language pathologist in private practice, had my own clinic, and so we met in my clinic. And during that journey, eventually the church came to the point where um, um, Section 156 um, was... Um, oh, I'm going to stop you there, Pam, because we uh, we learned a little bit about 156 from Jane Gardner, but Section 156 of what? Of the Doctrine and Covenants, yes, I know. Community of Christ lingo, right? Um, but when that revelation came that um, now women could be ordained, I was one of the first couple of women um, called uh, to ministry. I was called to the office of elder um, there. And I remember that within two months of my ordination to elder, I then became pastor. And two months after that, I became a counselor to the district president back when we were districts and stakes and regions. And so um, I've had um, a long journey um, with the church in terms of, of ministry. In fact, I was just reflecting that um, come June, I will have been ordained for 30 years, um, which is an amazing thought. Um and probably tells you how old I am, but um, it, it has been an amazing adventure with God in ministry. Eventually, I had the opportunity to um, take some additional training, and I became a certified hospital chaplain, and that gave me a lot of ecumenical contact. And when you're a hospital chaplain, you you are the advocate for others' um, faith and their the 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 joining of their faith into their healing and their wholeness, and so I learned a lot about other faith traditions, um, Christian and not Christian, and to be an advocate means you you really have to understand what that faith journey means in another life, and so what a privilege and joy that was for me. I had the opportunity to go under appointment and to join the the church in full time ministry. Before that, had been bivocational. Um, and that um, took me to ministry in 50 congregations across the southeastern United States. Um, and then eventually we went to mission centers, roles changed. I had the opportunity to move to Iowa and served um, in the state of Iowa for about eight years. So coming from the deep south back to the Midwest was, again, um, a big shift and a big change. Um, and then just a few years ago, well, I say a few years, it's probably been about almost a year and a half now, came the opportunity to move to the Pacific Northwest. And so um, the journey continues, the adventure continues, I'd like to say, the adventure with God. Um, and I found um, some wonderful folk in, um, um, in my uh, journey of faith here in this place. And um, I'm married. Um, my husband, Eric, and I have, we met in Mississippi, um, and we've been married for uh, 36 years. Um, 
We raised a son who um, died of cancer when he was 25. So we're we're um, um, empty nesters, and um, we do we do have a cat. Um, it's kind of a fun story. She's a Hurricane Katrina rescue kitty. We went through Hurricane Katrina, and she found us. Her name is Snicklefritz, which I understand is German for a little bit of trouble, and she lives up to her name. Um, so with a little bit of trouble in our home, um, we're glad to be where we are right now. Well, we're glad you're here too, Pam, and especially glad that you're willing to share with us today about a topic that for a lot of people is unfamiliar, and that is Holy Thursday or Maundy Thursday, the Thursday before Good Friday. Mm -hmm. So if you can help us out a little bit, what exactly is Monday Thursday? Okay. Well, the word Monday um, is actually or harkens back to the Latin mandatum, which means command. Um, and it kind of slid through Middle English and French to get to Monday. Um, so that's, that's kind of, see, it's the linguist in me that knows that. Um, but it, it goes to the idea of this, this, um, the commandment that Jesus gave. And so we find, um, that Jesus, uh, was, uh, said to, to the people in this, um, day that we celebrate as he gathered with his disciples in the upper room, what he said to them was, I give you a new commandment that you love one another just as I've loved you. You also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So it's the love commandment. And in fact, we find in the book of John in the 13th chapter, um, is when we begin to see all the words of love. If you count, if you st- I don't remember the number of words, but from the 13th chapter on through the book of John, love, 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 love. And it's all about the commandment. Um, so Monday, Thursday truly is this day when love becomes fully visible um, to disciples, um, not only then, but even now. Um, and so the commandment is to love as we've been loved. So perhaps a little bit more exciting than most people can understand from the word Monday, which kind of sounds a little miserable. Um, well, it does. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. <laughs> love Thursday um, sounds better to me. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. So we talked about that it's right before Good Friday, mm-hmm. and that's scriptural. So walk us through a little bit of what's happening here in the life of Jesus. Mm. So we, um, we're in the Thursday of Passion Week, um, which began the Sunday before, uh, with Palm Sunday or Passion Sunday, where Jesus enters Jerusalem. And there's all these expectations of what that means. And then um, the story is that Jesus continues to teach and to share. And on Thursday, um, he gathers his disciples in this upper room to celebrate the Feast of the Passover. And in that meal is when um, we begin to see that Jesus is intentionally using this as a time to once again kind of commission his disciples to make this last profound message to them that will resonate with them. And he establishes some really critical things um, 
that are important to the meaning of the church. Um, in that, we will see elements of the foot washing, which is all about servant ministry. Okay, we're going to come back to that later. Right. Okay. And then um, the Last Supper, um, which is foundational to those of us who um, are followers of Christianity. Um, the, the Lord's Supper is one thing that we continue to, to celebrate in a very profound way. And this is where it begins, is this particular night. And of course, from here and then, we go to Friday. Um, <clears throat> so after, after the night, after the celebration of the Lord's Supper on Monday, Thursday is the night when Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, um, in deep prayer and then is betrayed. And taken, um, before Pilate and is, um, you know, c- uh, condemned, uh, to the cross. And by Friday, um, evening, he's crucified. Um, and then we go through the period of when he's in the, the tomb and the world is kind of dark and silent before the celebration of Easter morning, um, and the resurrection. And so that's kind of where Monday Thursday follows on this journey of of Jesus through um, the week that we call Passion Week. So we're kind of midway mm-hmm. on Monday Thursday. Mm-hmm. Jesus has entered Jerusalem. It's Passover time, which is a huge Jewish festival gathering time. Mm-hmm. We sometimes forget Jesus was Jewish, and so he is observing um, the holidays or holy days. Um when we talk about the Last Supper, or even how we acknowledge it as the Lord's Supper moving forward from this day, mm-hmm. we sometimes don't connect it to what was going on in the context that Jesus lived mm-hmm. as Passover. Mm-hmm. Okay, anything else about that on kind of where we are? Because I want to go back, if not, mm-hmm. to the whole foot washing thing, <laughs> which I have to say contributes to Monday Thursday being my least favorite holy day of the Christian calendar. So what is going on there? Okay. Well, I actually think uh, not the actual act of foot washing, but what Jesus intended for it to mean is really critical. So if you can envision the disciples gathering in this upper room, and it's a fancy dinner. I mean, um, someone has set the table with all the things that would be uh, a Jewish setter feast, I'm thinking. Now, we only hear about the wine and the bread. But before the meal is actually served, it... The scripture tells us that what Jesus does is he takes over, takes off his outer cloak. So back in the day, um, you know, everyone had this outside cloak and under that was just kind of a, um, a short tunic. And in fact, servants only wore tunics. Okay. They didn't get the outer coats. I mean, I maybe certain times, but if they were serving, they would only wear that that really simple little knee-length tunic. And scripture tells us that Jesus took off his cloak down to his tunic as a servant would, wrapped a towel around his waist and filled a basin and then washed the disciples' feet. Now, that was meant in, in those days, slaves washed feet. 
People always had dirty feet. They wore sandals. Even if you had a bath, by the time you walked from where you lived to where you were going, your feet would be filthy. And so it was very typical, I think, to, you know, um, a courtesy um, that a host would provide to have your feet washed. But a slave would do it. Um, or in some cases, if it was a master or a teacher and their followers or disciples, the disciples would watch, wash the master's feet. So when Jesus as master girds himself, takes down to the slave tunic and girds himself with a towel and then kneels in front of his disciples to wash their feet, in essence, and later on he will say, um, do as I have done unto you, not do what I have done unto others or but do as I have done. And so clearly what he's saying is you act as a slave and you provide that kind of servant ministry. And here is the beginning of what I think that Christian discipleship should be more focused on is this idea that we are called to be servant ministers to a world in need. And it isn't about power and status and who's above anyone else or who has more, or who has less. It is because of love, um, because Christ loved us that we reach out in love. And there is only joy in kneeling and in serving. Um, so it, it isn't so much about feet and, um, and it's not necessarily about basins of water. It is about servant ministry. And so that, that emphasis, one of the last moments he has with his disciples, he's conveying a couple of things. And if you pair that with this last meal where he talks about, um, his body as bread and his blood as wine, and they become then embraced in this sacramental moment, if you pair that with the servant ministry, it is Jesus giving himself. So it's, it's God's love fully expressed to us through Jesus. Here is divine love in its fullness. For God so loved the world that God would kneel in front of dirty feet and wash feet and say, I have loved you. I have loved you so much that this is an honor to do, and I want you to honor and to love others in the same kind of way. Um, A wonderful way to um, illustrate how Jesus just turned the cultural understanding of what it means to lead Mm. upside down. Absolutely. And models that for the disciples. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So... It doesn't necessarily have to do with foot washing. What might be the cultural comparison? Mm. Well, I say in community of Christ, my experience has been that when we, we try to celebrate Monday, Thursday, we often, um, use the symbolism of foot washing, foot washing and turn it into hand washing. Um, I've been in um, priesthood gatherings where servant ministry has been the focus of the time together, and we have had hand washing. And it isn't where one person presides and washes everyone else's hands, because that would almost take on too much. It is where one person washes another's hands, and then that person, having been washed, washes the next one. And so everyone both receives and gives, and... Um, 
And I think that's very symbolic of what Jesus was trying to say in, in that foot washing was, um, you receive love and because you've received it, you choose to give it. Um, so hand washing, um, I think is probably the way I've seen it more typically used within community of Christ. Um, and I think today in most places where you see it, and you don't see it very often, um, but when you do see it, I think it would probably be hand washing. It just takes away some of the cultural um, discomfort that would come in a world where we don't take our shoes off, um, at least in this country, um, very often. And um, in this particular part of the country, it can be a little chilly to do that. So hand washing is much more appropriate, but it's the it's the sense of it. It's the importance of it. What was the message that Jesus was trying to convey? And then how do we re-experience that? And, and I think hand-washing would be one symbolic way um, to do that. What are some other ways that that, ex- that essence of that experience, that commandment to love as I've loved you, to love mm-hmm. others in the same mm-hmm. way, what are some other ways that that's expressed mo- on Monday, Thursday? Mm. Well, I think... Um, that this is when we are reminded that acts of mercy are extremely important. And so um, there is um, the opportunity uh, that comes with Monday, Thursday to say who is important and who, who is important in the eyes of God, who is important um, in the ministry of Christ. And it is unto the least of these. And so if we were to feed hungry or to clothe folk who didn't have sufficiency, or to provide shelter. Um, almsgiving is very much a part of the Christian tradition, the larger Christian tradition that is associated both with Lent and with Monday, Thursday. Um, so I, um, I think sometimes, you know, there are collections with the, with the collection going, um, toward the poor or a, a food bank or a soup kitchen or something or shelter, um, something like that. But also the idea in which it's important to, to serve one another. So, um, um, the the sense that I'm looking for ways in which I can be blessing to someone else. Um, I think there's some wonderful spiritual practices that can go along with this, and maybe could talk a little bit more about those um, in a minute. But um, just the the sense that this is the embodiment of mercy. God is forgiving us before we need forgiving. Um, and, and, and it carries over not only in the foot washing, but also into the Last Supper. Um, as Jesus begins to talk then about, um, you know, offering up, breaking the bread and saying, this is my body um, given for you. And this is my um, my blood, the wine in the wine. But he's offering that grace and that mercy of forgiveness. And if you'll remember who's gathered at that table for that table fellowship, is Judas who will betray him within, before 12 hours are passed. Judas will, has already initiated the betrayal, just hasn't completed it yet. But then there's also Peter, um, who will go ahead and, um, deny him later. Jesus is aware of all of this, and we definitely see the awareness in the remarks he makes, um, to the 12 about Judas and the betrayal. He anticipates that, so he knows it. But there is this sense of merciful love, um, of loving everyone at that table 
no matter what has happened in the past, no matter what's happening right now, and no matter what will yet unfold, God's merciful love is there. Um, and so um, extending mercy as we have received mercy, that giving and receiving again, um, that sense in which we've been so blessed um, to know the gift of, of life as it comes through um, Christ to us from God, um, and then the deep desire to, to share, um, to alleviate suffering. Um, it, it touches our mission initiatives. It, it touches who we are, I think, not only as uh, um, devout Christians, but also um, in community of Christ. Our deep understanding of our call um, is to be those servant ministers. We even talk about servant leaders when we talk about um, priesthood members as not um, not just ministers. Um, as servant ministers, but servant leaders. And so that, that idea of, in some ways, always kneeling before someone in need and trying to provide what it is that they need, I think, is part of our call. So one of the reasons we're exploring the liturgical calendar and the holy days and seasons that go with it is that we want to learn to be present in these moments. We want to learn to live in that space of mercy and grace that is modeled on Monday, Thursday. Mm -hmm. And so the spiritual practices that you mentioned would help us do that, to live into what it means to be merciful, mm -hmm. to receive mercy and to offer in the same way. So what are some of the practices that you would associate mm -hmm. with Monday, Thursday? Well, I think I would start with community first. So when we do gather in community for worship, um, when we have those Monday, Thursday worships, it's almost always around a table. So table fellowship, that is essentially who we are. I mean, this is in some ways a significant um, expression of table fellowship. And in community of Christ, uh, whether or not we do the hand washing, we will almost always have an agape meal. And we do an agape meal, an agape being the, the kind of loosely translated um, self-giving love uh, or selfless love. Um, it's not practiced as communion. They're at least not in our tradition. We don't usually practice it as communion. We don't do the, the prayers that make it the sacramental moment. We do offer the agape meal, which will always have some kind of bread and juice. It may have other things. You know, I've seen fruit and cheese for those people that had to come from work and not be able to have a meal before they got there. And so there's a few other things sometimes on the table, just as there would have been at the Last Supper. But the essential elements are the bread and the, and the wine or the juice. And everyone partakes. So this is a grand opportunity to teach our children about this table, about the Last Supper and what that meant and how it becomes um, such an essential part of Christian discipleship um, in that that communion begins right here. That communion fellowship, that sacramental moment begins right here. And children... It doesn't matter whether they've been baptized or they're tiny or older or whatever. Everyone gets to participate and including those people that might be journeying with us, but who have not yet decided that they want, to, that they're ready or, or wanting to make that commitment into discipleship. 
everyone is welcome to participate in remembering that sacred moment in remembering that meal where that grace and that forgiveness and that mercy um, are all extended in such a, a powerful kind of way. So the community um, worship is one expression of that. I would also say that um, for children, there's some powerful ways um, that we can begin to teach what it was that Jesus was even talking about. So when we talk about the foot washing, when we're talking about acts of mercy, acts of compassion, acts of sharing. And so um, whether that's the journey all the way through Lent or it's something we specifically do um, on Monday, Thursday, there is this opportunity to say, we sit at this table who is hungry. And how do we remember who is hungry and what do we do about that? And so whether it's encouraging the children to share something that they have. I know other Christian traditions often um, throughout Lent give up things. I, I would say more within our tradition, we don't do that so very well. Um, but what we could, what we can do is add things in. So being mindful of those people who have needs and reaching out to help them. So it could be a physical act of caring for someone, making um, someone a special meal and taking it to them. Children love to cook. I remember one little fellow in my congregation when I was a young pastor always wanted to cook. And so he came to my house and we made fish sticks. How hard is that? You put them on a tray. Um, we made fish sticks. Hey, that's cooking in my family. Yeah, yeah. And and we made carrot sticks, I think, you know, where we cut up carrots. And, and um, we probably baked some french fries. And we made a meal for his family at my house and then drove it to his house and fed his family. What a powerful thing for a child to do to feed someone. Um, or maybe go visit someone in a nursing home. Or, I mean, you have to be mindful of the age of the child. But the powerful practice that we have of walking the neighborhood could be um, a wonderful expression of this. So as you walk your neighborhood, you begin to stop in front of houses and pray for the families in those houses. And if there's an awareness of a need, so maybe there's a lonely person, maybe there's been someone sick in that home, maybe you could take them, uh, the child could make a card and drop that get well card off, or you could take a special treat or a favor to an older person who's living alone, or um, make a phone call, um, send a, um, a letter. Children love to express um, care and concern. So I, I think sharing that sense of we are here to express mercy and compassion is, you know, something that we can do. Also, I would say um, that children, they're not good at silence, but I think they appreciate it when it happens. So if you're in a place where maybe on Monday, Thursday, um, you're not able to join a community for worship. I think lighting a candle and having a time of silence and then maybe having something symbolic like a marble, okay, where, where you could talk to the child about this kind of is everything that's in turmoil or kind of stirred up in your life. Maybe the feelings you have of hurt or of anger or, you know, all those little things that are not just there for children, but us too. And you put it in the bowl by the candle because when Jesus gave himself, those things are held 
in Christ's love and mercy, and we are clean and clear and free of them. And even young children can appreciate that moment of silence and the opportunity to say, what is my life that I need to give up and give over and let Christ bless it and heal it and make me whole and clean? Um, so finding ways to incorporate that, I think, um, is, is really important and special. And then, um, if you, um, if you are sitting at a table, so let's just say you have table fellowship at the church. As you sit at that table, can you ask yourself, am I at peace with everyone at this table? And for some of us, that's a profound question. Because we like to make nice, but we don't always do peace really well. And so if I can't honestly say yes, then what is it I need to do as I go from this table to make sure that I either forgive them, forgive me, or forgive God for all of the feelings um, that I have that um, I wish weren't mine? That just sense of needing to find that sense of peace and reconciliation, because I think that's at the heart of what Jesus was trying to share with his disciples, is um, here in this place where I give my life and I give my love and God's love through me, there should always be peace and reconciliation because all is reconciled in me. Christ would say that. And um, so so looking for that and finding ways to... Um, help our children to express that, to make sure that it's a part of our lives. Um, I think, you know, one of the, one of the values of Lent is that we have these 40 days to pay attention. I, I think, um, too often we live our lives without paying attention. And so, um, the, the, the liturgical calendar gives us this period of Lent in which we say, now we are paying attention. Because if we don't, ask the hard questions, and we don't give of ourselves, then Easter is not what it could be. We have to walk through the Passion Week and foot washing and and this this table of forgiveness and grace and mercy are part of our journey to being able to accept the gift of resurrection and new life that Easter will yet bring as we are still at Thursday. When you're describing the table fellowship and the importance of the reconciliatory awareness, um, the living in a, a state of mercy, it made me think about the community of Christ uh, tradition of potluck. Mm-hmm. Now, for those that aren't aware, potluck, it's called lots of different things in different parts of the U.S. I've heard dinner on the grounds and carrion dinner. But potluck is where folks bring um, a dish of some kind to a dinner that happens after church and everyone shares together in what everyone else has brought mm-hmm. and has a meal together at the table. And it made me think that that's almost our table fellowship, last supper kind of tradition mm. that we do. But we don't think of it in this kind of Monday, Thursday meal mm-hmm. um, way. And what a wonderful community practice it mm-hmm. would be to live this mercy mm-hmm. of Monday, Thursday. Every time we sit at the table mm-hmm. sharing um, 
tater tot casserole mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and uh, other delicacies yes. that come uh, with potluck. Mm-hmm. There are some really interesting traditions that have to do with Monday Thursday or that have developed as part of Monday Thursday around the world. And mm-hmm. um, that when I was doing research about Monday Thursday, I was surprised at. Mm. And one of them, when you talked about um, living in this space where we've given up what is disquieting in our life mm-hmm. and we've given that uh, to Jesus and we are clear and clean, there's this tradition of shaving <laughs> that men have associated um, with Monday Thursday. Care to enlighten us on that? <laughs> I don't know that we've ever practiced it in Community of Christ, but I, I am aware um, that in in ancient uh, fellowships of discipleship um, that there has been some tradition of of men shaving on Monday, Thursday. I'm not sure I fully understand that, but I think it has some association with being clean, um, with that, that idea of clearing off all things. And I suppose it's another kind of symbolism. <laughs> I, I have no idea, really. Um, I, uh, and there are some other kinds of traditions that are part of, of other either cultural groups or religious groups that aren't part of our understanding of it. Um, so they're kind of fun to see what other other groups do. Like um, you notice um, on TV, you'll see the Pope. Um, there's usually a group of people that are chosen for the Pope to wash their feet. So that that symbolic kind of the one who is the head of the the Catholic Church kneeling before the poor and those who represent maybe the spectrum of humanity and um, symbolically washing their feet is something we see in the Catholic tradition. And then I know in England, they have a very interesting tradition um, where the monarch, and in this case, it's a queen, gathers a group of pensioners or older folk that are retired. And there's a symbolic group that is gathered to experience this and and all of the, the guards in their, their garb and regalia bring in these huge trays of red and white purses. And one of those purses contains, um, coins, I think, that are supposed to, um, symbolize giving of food and clothing, um, that, that part of the mercy giving of the alms giving that is, um, part of Monday Thursday. Um, and then part of it is another, um, little purse that is supposed to, have some little commemorative coin that um, there is one of for every year the monarch is old. So I'm thinking everyone's going to get 90 coins this year. Um, so there are these traditions that are um, um, maybe not part of our faith community, but we see them in the world around us. Um, both of those kinds of things, although they seem kind of odd to us, clearly hearken back, though, to something that was essentially trying to come out of this. So the idea of mercy giving, of almsgiving, of power, kneeling, um, and and that kind of equality uh, of all within um, God's beloved creation, I think, is part of what the message is. So when we talk about Monday, Thursday, um, in Community of Christ, mm-hmm. we have acknowledged in previous uh, episodes that community of Christ is relatively new to mm-hmm. using the liturgical calendar. Right. And so we don't always have personal memories of specific holy days or seasons. Do you have any 
uh, recollections or memories from your personal uh, data bank on Monday, Thursday? Well, I actually do because I was a young pastor back in the 80s when we began actually paying attention, I think, a little bit more to the liturgical calendar. And I think it was probably in 95 then when we actually maybe formalized that a little bit more in terms of our public worship. But in the 80s, I remember this kind of uh, suggestion that we began to pay more attention to um, some of the Christian um, holy days. And um, our little congregation that was kind of a, a house church um, at the time, um, I was privileged to grow with a group that met um, um, in houses and homes. And like I said, my office, we eventually rented several different places. And we would try um, to do hand washings or stations of the cross was another thing we tried one time, but always with this agape meal. And the children always were excited and looking forward to that. In fact, one of the memories I have was someone suggesting that we have cheese and grapes in addition to the bread and the juice because of, like I said before, those people that were coming straight from work, um, not having a chance to have a real meal. And I remember uh, one of the children, just a toddler, sitting on one of the older members' lap. It was an older fellow, and she was feeding him grapes. And he was making this popping noise. She would hold the grape up to his lips, and he would pop them in, and she would just giggle. And the whole congregation, even though we were engaging in kind of a an alternation of scripture and hymns, would stop and giggle with her. Um to this day, I'm wondering if that little girl remembers that time of that agape meal where she knew love in a profound kind of way in, in that community. And we were beginning to try to explore what that, you know, what that meant. What was servant ministry and what did that table really mean? And, and like I said, I, I really am appreciative of the agape kind of turn to that so that there is, outside of the sacramental remembrance of Christ's Last Supper, there is this chance for all to come, some who don't have faith and some who might just begin to touch it, and others who are a little too young to fully grasp it and choose it still have the chance to experience it. So it was kind of a family fellowship um, and expression, and so that would be some of my memories. So this episode will um, be posted prior to Monday, Thursday. So if you could um, have one hope of how people will experience Monday, Thursday this year, mm. what would that hope be? Mm. I think that we take seriously the opportunity we have to express in gratitude First of all, the deep blessings that we have that we take for granted so very much, each of us do, no matter how intentional we think we are, that we pay attention, that we claim those blessings and remember the call that we have to share, however we choose to do that. And and I, I just think that um, if we're concerned about a world that struggles in, in hatred um, and in opposition and in power struggles, and inequality and injustice, how do we ever make that different? I think it has to be in this expression of mercy and almsgiving and compassionate care and um, the understanding that comes out of what Jesus was trying to tell us before he physically left us was that love was the most essential thing. 
There is a beautiful little sending forth that is part of, if you go to the worship helps on the church website, and there's a suggested worship service for Monday, Thursday there. There is. Yes, there is. And there's a sending forth that I really like um, statement in there because I think it encompasses all the elements of Monday, Thursday, and I'm going to read it. Okay. It says, as we leave the table of the Lord, may we take with us the example laid here before us. Let the bread and wine of Christ truly live in us and through us. Let us take up the towel and basin into the world to which we are called to be servants of the Most High God. May we fulfill that calling through the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Pam. We'll receive that as a blessing from a minister of blessing, as you are called to be. And I want to thank you for sharing with us today. My privilege, my joy. Again, this is uh, Common Grounds, where we explore the liturgical calendar as part of the Project Zion podcast series. Our next episode will be a joint conversation with Judy and Dr. Dale Luffman. And our topic is going to be to continue with Holy Week and discuss Good Friday and Easter. So until then, thanks for listening. The views expressed in this episode are of those speaking and do not necessarily reflect the official views of the Latter-day Seekers team or of Community of Christ. The music has been provided by Ben Howington. You can find his music at mormonguitar.com. Mormon Guitar